welcome to another episode of the Hold Fast Podcast, where we have biblical truths for daily battles. My name is Kenny. I am the host of the podcast, and this is a continuation from the last episode. So this is kind of a three-part episode, if you will, where I am responding to an article that circulated really last year uh, sometime, I think earlier in the year. Um, and I wouldn't say it was it was crazy popular. You may not have seen it, but I saw it pop up several times and it seemed to really take on. I mean, it went on several different websites, things like that. And the article is titled 15 Reasons People Are Disillusioned with the Church. And it seems like the author's intent is to basically say, look, people are leaving the church. He, he says in the article, people are leaving the church in unprecedented numbers, both churchgoers and pastors. And it's more than just a fear of contracting a virus. There are numerous reasons why people have become disillusioned with the church. So he's he's trying to make the case that, look, people aren't just not coming to church because of COVID. And obviously, I would agree with that. Um, there are underlying issues here. Now, the problem is that I disagree with many of the underlying issues that he presents. And I'm not I'm not doing this to be picky. I'm not even I'm not even doing this to necessarily critique this one article. I am doing that, but my hope is that I'm I'm giving you an example of how to think critically about something and more importantly how to think biblically about something like an article like this that's supposed to be written from a Christian perspective that's even supposed to be written from he would probably claim a biblical perspective and it's a sensitive subject I mean people are leaving the church what do we do about that how do we think about that what are some of the underlying causes and so I just want to respond to this article and hopefully um, give you a good example on how to think critically and biblically about some of this Um, truth be told each one of these reasons that he gives, I could take an entire 20 minute, probably an entire hour or more to respond to them. Um, and so there's a lot of things that I'm, I want to say, but I'm not going to say pri- primarily for lack of time, but also again, because my main purpose is hopefully to illustrate what it means to think critically and biblically about something like this. So let's move through it. We went through reasons one through five in the last episode. If you missed that, go back to that episode. And today we're going to I'm going to attempt to cover reasons six through 10. So let's begin. Reason number six, and this actually is kind of closely tied to reason number five. So I I may not spend a lot of time here. I I may, because this is something I am passionate about talking about. Reason number six, he says, we've often mimicked corporate culture inside the church. We define success by numerical output and effective leadership as persuasiveness and salesmanship. Again, that's tied to reason number five, where we've recreated secular celebrity culture inside the church, I believe. This is what many churches are doing, right? And again, I said with reason number five, I'll say here again, I this is something I actually agree with him on. Um, I think that this is a problem. Where I disagree with him is that I don't think people are leaving the church because of this necessarily. Some people are, yes, but I think more often people come to a church because they want a church that runs like a corporation. They want a church that that does have a lot of people that that is really good at selling their vision and really good at marketing themselves. Now, most churches would not say that's what they're trying to do who are doing this, but but this is how they often think. I've been to conferences where you are taught to think this way. As you lead a church, you are taught to think in these terms. Now, Let me acknowledge, um, I do believe that when you are pastoring a church and leading a church, there are elements to it that are business-like and corporate-like, if you will. You can't get around that. It's the nature of, of running an organization like a church. However, when, when we think, when pastors begin to operate more like CEOs than pastors, 
again, I would say you don't really ultimately have a church. You, you have a gathering of people, and it may have some of the, the distinguishing factors uh, of a church, but I don't believe you're operating as a biblical church. Um, I, think, I think this is a cancer that's invading the church. I think in many ways it's growing the church numerically, but it is shrinking it spiritually. Um, and I think that, that ultimately, when that's happening, the church, the big C church, the people of God, not just the building that we gather in, but the church is actually shrinking because we're gathering more people into buildings and they're false converts because we've run it like a business rather than a church. So I do think it's a problem. However, I believe that a lot of people are flocking to the church because churches run like this rather than leaving the church because of it. More people should leave churches like that if, if I'm being frank and honest here. Uh, number seven, We've devalued women and defended patriarchy. We've decided that leadership responsibilities are reserved for men only, regardless of how competent women might be for the task. Um, some of these um, I really want more time to respond to, and maybe I'll do some episodes responding to these in more detail. I, I don't know. Um, this is one of them. This is one that I I don't want to just give a short answer to. Um, I don't want to I don't want to be half-hearted in my response to it. I don't, I don't want to just state my opinion and move on without really trying to defend it. Um, but, but due to the nature of this podcast, I have to be shorter than, than I want to be and, and probably shorter than you're going to want me to be on this issue. Um, certainly, women have be, been devalued in churches uh, often, and, and that is a tragedy and a travesty. Um, I, I do believe that happens. Um, I, I also believe that churches who stand for the biblical idea of what a pastor is and and stands on the scriptural principle i believe the scriptural principle that a pastor or an elder uh, the office of pastor and elder is reserved only for men often the accusation is thrown that we hate women that we we are devaluing women um but but let me say this you we will never devalue women when we uphold scriptural principles um that's not possible and and it's not, it doesn't mean that we are devaluing women or saying that they're not competent uh, to do certain tasks because we are defending the Bible's teaching that the office of pastor and elder is reserved for men. That we say that what the Bible says, that men and husbands are to be the primary spiritual leaders within their homes. Um, we, we do believe that men and women are created perfectly equal, yet distinct. I do believe that men and women are equal to one another, yet they are distinct in their roles and functions. I believe that the Bible lays out clearly uh, the roles and functions of men and women within the home, within the church, even within society to a degree, and I, and I think we should be unapologetic about that. It, is it a hard issue? Absolutely it's hard, um, but, but we should not we should not allow the world to tell us when when we are devaluing men, women, whoever, we should allow the Bible to define for us what it means to value one another, what it means to love one another, and to allow one another to operate within the roles that God has assigned for us. Um, so again, I, I get that that's a short answer to that, um, but this seems to be kind of an underhanded way of saying that if you don't allow women to be pastors, you're devaluing women, um, and that's a pretty simplistic argument, um, and it doesn't have any basis in Scripture, in my opinion. Um, and I understand there are people that disagree with me. There might be some people that listen to this podcast that disagree with me on that. Um, again, that's another topic for another day, um, but but I... Even if you disagree with me that that to that uh, the office of pastor and elder is reserved for men only, even if you disagree with me on that, 
I still believe that I can make the case strongly that because I hold that stance does not mean in any way that I devalue women. Um, it's just not true. So, uh, I'll move on from that because there's a lot that I could say there. Number eight, we've ignored systemic poverty. We're, oh man, let me, let me pause there before I get to the actual point. He's done this in almost every every one of these 15 points where he just makes this blanket statement and it really bothers me the way that it's done. And I, I think it's done uh, to get attention, to make a point, to make sure that, that he's, he's being really bold in this, but to just make a blanket statement like we've ignored systemic poverty. Um, and I think there's a false humility there when he says we, I think what he really wants to say is, is you all, um, that, that is a that is a guess on my part. I don't know that, but the way this article is written kind of gives that impression. But we've in, we've ignored systemic poverty. Who has done that? How have we done that? Are you saying everybody in the church is doing that? It's a it's a really broad blanket statement, and I think it's problematic the way that it's written. All right, so get to the actual point number eight. We've ignored systemic poverty. We're so addicted to individual freedom that we often turn a blind eye to the suffering to the suffering and those without health care or financial security, and I've written it off as a lack of personal responsibility. Um, again, who's doing this, and how are they doing this? I'm not gonna deny that people do this. I'm, I'm not gonna tell you that this isn't a problem in some churches. I'm not gonna tell you that this isn't even a problem for a lot of people in churches. I, I don't know all this, the circumstances and situations, but I do know that this accusation is often hurled at churches when we don't just hand out money to everybody all the time. Um, l- let me give you a, a little bit of a perspective as a pastor. There are people who often walk through the doors of our church office there are people who often call our church phone and they they have needs. Um, the stories are endless. They, they almost always have similarities. And it's, number one, um, I hope that you don't think that I'm sounding unloving by saying this, but number one, I think we can all agree that sometimes it's hard to know what's legitimate and what's, what's not, first of all. And then second of all, um, understanding how and when we can actually truly help people. Um, not just give them a handout, but actually truly help people. That's a difficult thing to figure out at times. And I think he's partly getting at that here. I think that that he would probably critique critique many churches and saying, look, you just give a handout, but you don't actually want to help people. You just want to, to, to have a notch on your belt. I think that's true. Um, and I think we do need to be better about getting to the root cause of why somebody is suffering the way they are, why somebody has a lack of financial security and, and actually learn to help them. Um, but to say that the reason that we turned a blind eye to suffering and those without financial security is because we're addicted to individual freedom. Um, I don't believe that's true. Uh, and, and to say that we've, we've just written it off as a lack of personal responsibility, I don't believe that's always true. Matter of fact, um, this is another biblical principle here. The Bible says if someone won't work, don't let them eat. That if someone will not work to provide for their family, that they are worse than an unbeliever. So if somebody is refusing to work, there is a biblical principle there that says don't let them eat. Don't, don't give them a handout if they're unwilling to work. Now, some people, many people are in the positions they're in, not because they won't work, but because they can't work or they've been able, unable to find a job that really supplies for their needs. I get this is a complex situation, but I do not believe that this, there's this widespread mentality among the church that we're just turning a blind eye to people because we just value individual freedom so much and we're just so selfish and involved in our own lives and we just look at people and go, well, if you had a job like mine, you'd probably be in a better position. Um, 
that's sinful and people do that and it should be called out. And, and I'm glad to a degree that he's willing to call these things out, but this blanket statement is what bothers me. Saying this is why people are disillusioned with the church is what bothers me because I have had people get upset at me when I look at them and try to get to the root cause of what's really going on. When they ask me, one of the, one of the main requests that I get is I need a hotel room for the night. Um, and what I've begun to ask in many of those scenarios is, okay, if I give you a hotel room tonight, what happens tomorrow night? And they don't, they, they almost never have an answer for me. And what I say to them as gently and with as much humility as I possibly can is I really would love to help you, but I don't believe purchasing a hotel room for tonight is what you most need. I want to help you. I want to figure out what's going on. I want you to come by the church. I want to, I want to talk. I want us to have a conversation. I want to be able to walk with you. I want to be able to, to, to show you what it means to follow Christ and all these things, and they most often don't want that. And in that scenario, I'm not ignoring their suffering. I'm trying to actually dive into their suffering and give them what they most need and help them with their material and physical needs as well. Um, so the blanket statement bothers me in, in issues like that. Uh, let's see here. We've got two more that we're supposed to go through here today, so we may go a little bit later than a normal episode, but but I'm, I'm going to do five in each episode. That was my commitment. So uh, number nine, here's the other blanket statement. We've ignored systemic racism. We're so fragile and sensitive to any insinuation that we are privileged because of our whiteness that we turn a deaf ear to those suffering under unjust and inequitable systems. Uh, this is a lot like the issue of women uh, in, in number seven where this really could take an entire episode and I'm, I do intend on at some point dealing with this issue on hold fast at some point because it, it's something that is, we're encountering on a daily basis to one degree or another. The, the accusation of this, the, the, the reality of this, when we talk about systemic racism, when we talk about whiteness, we talk about critical race theory, there's a lot that goes under the umbrella here. Um, but once again, there is a blanket statement here. There are a lot of assumptions here that you have to, you have, to have to agree with him. Um, do I believe that racism still exists in society? Yes. Um, do I believe that men and women um, are sinful and that sin can express itself in racism. Yes. Um, I also believe, by the way, as a side note, um, that racism is, is the wrong term. I think the biblical term is ethnic prejudice because we, there is one race, the human race. And so um, let's, let's establish that here. I understand that, that we use the term racism as what, what's most well known, but really the biblical term would be ethnic prejudice. Um, and then the, the insinuation that we're so fragile and sensitive to any insuin insinuation that we're privileged because of our whiteness, um, that's, pro that's a problem too, um, because this is, this is a tactic of the culture um, to push forth their rhetoric, to push forth their worldview and ideology um, that, is, that is godless, by the way. Um, are, are, are there certain privileges that can come because of being a part of certain aspects and of society? Yes. Um, is it as simple as saying that just because just because of the color of my skin, I'm privileged and I'm the oppressor of those who are oppressed who don't share my skin color. No, it's not that simple. Um, and and to here's, here's the thing that I have the most problem with, and he doesn't say this, but it seems to be implied to me. 
I have the most problem with, with the ideology here that says, because of my skin color, I have sin that I need to repent of. And not only sin that I need to repent of, but perpetual sin that I need to perpetually repent of. That I will never get past the fact that I am white and I have a privilege and therefore I am oppressing my brothers and sisters who do not share my skin color. Um, that is a false, that is a false accusation. That is not grounded in scripture. And again, there's a lot to unpack here that I really wish I could do, but I will I will have to do another episode on this. Um, so if you have questions on that or thoughts on that, that upsets you that I said it in that way, please come and talk to me because this, this is better to be had as a conversation, not necessarily just a podcast, but he decided to make a really quick blanket statement in his point here, number nine, so I decided that I would make a quick response to it and say that his assumptions there are unbiblical, uh, in my opinion, and, and I believe that I can, I can adequately defend that from, from Scripture. Uh, number 10, we've made secondary issues primary. Um, the irony here, by the way, is is interesting to me because um, he would probably classify almost every issue that he has brought up so far as primary, um, and they're not. Not in, not in the way that he would describe primary, I, I would say. Uh, we, we've made secondary issues primary. Doctrinal matters that are outside the scope of the major creeds, like racism and like poverty, uh, we've made non-negotiable tests of orthodoxy. Um, this, in my opinion, number 10 is the most self-defeating statement that he makes because he spends an entire article diving into uh, secondary issues and, and making a case for this is why people are leaving the church and this is why the church isn't acting Christian enough. This is why the church isn't orthodox enough. And he may not say it that way, but to me, he's, this is a self-defeating statement. Um, now let's get to his actual point, okay? We've made secondary issues primary. Which, which issues are you talking about? What, what secondary issues are, are you saying that we've made primary? And, and let's define that, what that means. First of all, are you saying that secondary issues don't matter? Are you saying that secondary issues don't matter at all? Because I believe they do. Um, can we only argue about primary issues? Can we only go to, to defend the scripture on primary issues in your opinion? Doctrinal matters that are outside the scope of the major creeds. What about doctrinal matters that we find in scripture? Because isn't the fact that we find a doctrinal matter in scripture enough to make it to a degree primary, something that we should talk about and should matter to us? We've made them non-negotiable tests of orthodoxy. Um, once again, if you are flat out denying what scripture says to suit your own needs, um, then yes, I think that is a test of orthodoxy. Um, and I can't make a judgment of whether or not you're a Christian based off of that, that you're truly saved, but I can say that you're stepping outside of the bounds of scripture. So, so, so here's the thing, Where, what's your standard? What's your standard here? Let's go back to number, uh, which one was it? Number four, where he talked about the fact that we've idolized the Bible on the pedestal of literalism. And he says that's a problem. Here he's saying, look, if it's not in the major creed, then we shouldn't fight about it. Okay, so you're, you're valuing the creed over scripture. When the creeds were written out of scripture, by the way. So, so what's your test of orthodoxy? How do you test whether or not someone is orthodox? Whether or not they, they, they agree with you on these issues or whether or not they're seeking to obey and submit to the scriptures. I mean, are the creeds more of an authority than the Bible is? Because it almost, I mean, I don't think that he would say that. I, I really don't think he would say that. But that's implied here. 
because he's saying, look, if if it's outside the scope of the major creeds, those are the things that are primary. Everything else is secondary. None of the other stuff matters is what's being implied here, whether he means that or not. And that's a problem. Um, Yes, I do believe sometimes we can argue unnecessarily about secondary and tertiary issues. But I also believe that, that those secondary issues are important, that they matter, and that, and that they do determine often whether or not somebody is willing to submit to Scripture or not. That We can have some differences over secondary issues and still be brothers and sisters in Christ, but those differences matter. And sometimes those differences determine whether or not we can really have, we can really have close weekly fellowship with one another under the same local church because they matter. So, so let's not pretend like they don't. And let's, let's be willing to say that what the Bible says, I want to affirm and I want to stand on and I want to defend in love, yes, and with gentleness and meekness. But again, it's problematic the way that he frames this. Um, and I think that we need, to, we need to have Scripture as our guide, Scripture as our standard in all things, and I don't think we should apologize for that. Um, so, man... This one was harder than the first one, I gotta admit. Uh, the first one, some of those issues were a little bit easier to be quick and concise on. Uh, today's were not, and um, I understand that some of these are hot topics. Um, my, my intent is never and will never be to offend, um, to simply make my point and move on. I am more than open to conversations about these things. If something that I said bothered you or didn't sit well with you, um, I, I actually would love nothing more than to sit down with you and talk about it. Um, and it's part of the reason actually why I was willing to engage with some of these issues in, in a short way in the hopes that it would stir up some conversation um, and would drive us to seek the scriptures together. So that's my hope. Um, I know that many people that listen to this are people that live here in Jacksonville or that know me personally. Um, And so I would love nothing more than for you to reach out and let's talk further about some of these things because the next time when we go through numbers 11 through 15, we're going to have some more controversial issues that come up and it's going to, we're going to, we're going to dive into it again. So um, that's going to happen in part three though, which will be Lord willing next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hold Fast. As always, if this is helpful or encouraging or thought provoking as this one may be more of than some of those other things, I I would ask that you share it. Uh, Send it in a text, send it in an email or send it in a fax. I don't care how you do it. Just send it to somebody, share it. I would love for other people to get involved in the conversation as well. Um, Thanks as always for listening and God bless. Hope to have you on next time.